This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. My name is Paul Arneson and you're listening to the Blue Army Podcast. All right, Maras, how's it going? Welcome back to the Blue Army Podcast. I am your host, Skelly, and I'm doing the introduction all on my own this week. And this week, we've got something different. If you're a regular listener to the Blue Army Podcast, you'll know that I'm going away on holiday this week. So instead of doing a match report, I had an interview in the bag, and that's what you're going to get. So today's episode is an interview with Paul Arneson. Paul Arneson played for Carlisle over. 120 times scoring just one goal but definitely proving himself to be a very very consistent player for Carlisle United during the back-to-back promotions under Paul Simpson and other managers which we'll go on to discuss later on in today's podcast but first I just want to clear a few things up then there will not be a podcast next week unfortunately because like I've said I'm going on holiday and I don't want to rush and edit a podcast together all in one day because it's just a well you know I'm on holiday so I'm having a break Um, I'm sure you can all appreciate that and uh, if you appreciate this show it would mean a lot to me if you could go over and um, if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts give us five stars and uh, a lovely comment that would be really appreciated liking following subscribing it really does help we made our first appearance in the Apple Podcast top 200 charts uh, we charted in the top 150 football podcasts in the UK so I'm buzzing about that it'd be awesome if one month we could creep into the top 100 it's not completely impossible to think we could become a top 100 podcast that'd be a lot of fun and and good way for us to do that would be for you guys to leave some comments and some five star reviews and that would be very 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 appreciated because if I get noticed I'll get some sponsorship and then you guys will end up getting a slightly better produced podcast because I'm a bit of an amateur when it comes to production so anyway we'll move on because you're here for an interview with Paul Arneson and uh, I will give you that interview in just a few more minutes but first Of course, 
As is tradition here on the Blue Army Podcast, it's time for the Blue Army Podcast Joke of the Week. Is he having a laugh? I think he's trying to. It's the Blue Army Podcast Joke of the Week. Here we go. Joke of the Week time. Did you hear about the new restaurant called Karma? There's no menu. You just get what you deserve. Ha! It can't all be as good as the tailless monkey jokers last week. I don't think I've delivered it incredibly well. But who cares? Because we've got an interview with Paul Arneson right now. Here it comes. Hope you enjoy it. And I'll see you in two weeks where, um, yeah... I know you're all probably thinking right now he's avoiding talking about beach out. He's avoiding it. But yeah, I'm going to go away and digest it because I've got given myself the opportunity to do that. So I'm going to go away and digest all the beach out. And uh, maybe when we come back from our little break, there'll be some better results or, or maybe not. Maybe things would have gotten slightly worse. And yeah, anyway, we'll talk about it in two weeks. 4-0 against Sutton is embarrassing for anybody. And it's incredibly embarrassing. Embarrassing for us and uh, nobody should be happy about a 4-0 defeat uh, great supporters showed up uh, in great numbers a lot of London branches um, yeah the team just didn't perform for them unfortunately but I will get on to discussing that with Wills uh, in a couple of weeks mate so uh, for now you've got an interview with Paul Arneson and then we're going to take a break for a week uh, so you can go and listen to uh, interviews with the likes of Derek Holmes part 1 and 2 uh, Mark Boyd was a great interview. Jason Price, the Afro Gold Machine, is a great interview. Um, also, it would be really cool um, if you listen to the interview that I did with Alex Mitchell, who recently went viral, uh, time-wasting, a bit of shithousery. He was in the paper this week. Apparently, he was going viral with uh, with some rather backhanded time-wasting techniques during an FA Cup first-round uh, qualifying game or game. Not 100% sure. But anyway, check that out. Um, all good interviews. Uh, the one with Alex Mitchell's got a bit more substance to it, perhaps, because we've got a bit of a history. So, yeah, all of them were very enjoyable, though. And now it's time for our interview with Paul Arnie Arneson. Cheers, Maris. See you in a bit. Today on the Blue Army podcast, it's my honour to introduce you to another ex-Carlisle United player who is kind enough to give us a slice of their time. This man was born in Hartlepool and after signing with Newcastle, made the switch back to play for his hometown team. After his time with the Monkey Hangers came to an end after three seasons, he spent 120 appearances with Carlisle United, picking up back-to-back promotions and an English Football League Cup winners medal along the way. Um, Our man then went on to play for Bradford, Darlington, Celtic Nation before moving half a world away to play in Australia and that's where he's joining me from right now. It is my pleasure to introduce to the listeners of the Blue Army podcast, Mr Consistent himself, Paul Arneson. How are you mate? Nice to have you. How are you? That's a nice introduction, thanks very much. (laughs) Yeah, thanks mate, it took me about five minutes that. (laughs) Very nice. Uh, Yeah. 
thank you very much for joining us. And like I've just said, you're joining us all the way from Australia. So you beat Derek Holmes as far as the uh, the furthest away guest uh, goes. <laughs> Where's Derek Lannick. living? Is he? Where's Derek living? He's around the Lanark area at the moment. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Small towns, small towns. But uh, he's willing to move for work. So I think I mentioned that to you in a message previously. He's willing to locate for work. And we'll talk about your work in in just a couple of minutes. We'll dive into what you're doing currently. But like I've mentioned, you are over in Australia. And um, myself, I've travelled over to Australia. And I know what it's like trying to watch English, European-based sports in a completely different continent. What was the atmosphere like for you being an Englishman around the Euros? Yeah, it was strange to be honest. We were getting up at two o'clock in the morning or, or five o'clock in the morning, um, and it, it did. It does feel weird, you know. Um, we were going to go to, the, uh, to a pub in Brisbane to watch the final, but it was on at like again five o'clock in the morning, so it would mean staying up all night and yeah, and trying to somehow watch the final. But yeah, it's obviously great to watch TV on the on, on the obviously large spots on the telly. Uh, the same with the Premier League games. We get some early games at ten o'clock at night, um, eleven o'clock, depending on when obviously when the clocks change. Um, but yeah, it's obviously, it is hard trying to stay up to watch them, but you know, if there's an early game on and then late game on, I'll try and watch a couple. Sometimes I, I just fall asleep on the couch and wake up at four or five o'clock in the morning, you know, with the, with the TV still on, but no, obviously it was great watching, watching the Euros, just obviously disappointing we couldn't go that one step further. I mean, that would have been amazing, wouldn't it, if we could have gone a step further? But that lends itself quite nicely into what you're doing in Australia right now, which is coaching. And we will talk about that in just a second. But first, I asked this question to Mark Boyd and he gave us a good answer. So I'm going to ask you the same question, Paul. If you were given this English team, now that you've got a bit of management experience under your belt and had to whip them into shape going into the World Cup next year, um, what would you like to see out of this England team going into the World Cup? Um, good question. Very good question. Yeah, looks, I thought we, we've obviously got a, we've got a young squad um, with a couple of experienced players in there. I think, you know, given the next World Cup, I think them young players will, you know, will will come, come of age, obviously being... You know, doing so well in, in this tournament. Um, I'd like to see it a bit be a bit more attacking wise. You know, maybe go with, with two number nines, two strikers. Um, but every coach is different. You know, obviously you got you got Harry Kane up there. Obviously, was a lone striker with, with with players off him like Jack Grealish and and Phil Ford and, and obviously Raheem Sterling who had a, an outstanding tournament when people were suggesting he shouldn't be playing. So um, yeah, I just think obviously Gareth Gareth hopefully gets the job for the World Cup and um, he knew what he was doing at the Euros. I'm sure you know it'll be the same for the World Cup. So we've got a young side um, and let's hope we can go to the World Cup and you know go one further this time. Absolutely. I like the way that you said we could probably play with two strikers. I'd like to see somebody paired off with Harry Kane and maybe have Sterling either in behind or pushed out wide. But I don't think the two of them work incredibly well together when it's supposed to be the two of them playing up front. Looking into the Premier League season that's coming up, who would you like to see uh, have a really good year this year and get into that World Cup squad that perhaps maybe missed out? Last time around, uh, well, you look at you look at the likes of Mason Greenwood, um, young boy Jude Bellingham. Obviously, not not playing the Premier League, um, we're given you know obviously Bellingham was given little bits of snippet, but hopefully he can he can push on between now and in the World Cup. Obviously, Phil Foden and your Jack Grealish is you know they're exciting players. We want we want to see them playing regularly, um, but it, it is obviously 
the English job is is a difficult task trying to pick 11 players and, and trying to get everybody happy and um, I say Gareth did a great job but I just think you know the likes of Jack and Phil Ford and have got big seasons ahead of them uh, playing in the same team now at Man City and if they can if they can link up really well you never know they might get Harry Kane in with, in with them as well um, at City so that will be a great front three obviously with Raheem Sterling so yeah I'm excited to watch the England boys you know flourish in, in this in this next season. I think Aston Villa have got a, a very good strike English front pair. They've got like Ollie Watkins and now they've just brought in Danny Ings. I don't know if there's going to be enough room in the England squad for both of them, but you could imagine that they're going to be Aston Villa's strike force maybe going into next season. I'd like to see Ings get more of an opportunity. He wasn't even really given a sniff. I think he was injured though, wasn't he? Um, right, Paul, thanks very much for a bit of crack there, mate. Um you're over in Australia, like we've mentioned, and I'll leave this question as wide open as I can so you can fill us in with the full story. What are you doing over there in Australia? The last time we heard you, you were at Celtic Nation. Yeah, we, uh, we, we spoke about it when I was still at Carlisle, funny enough, about, about emigrating to Australia. Obviously, at the time, I was still enjoying the football at Carlisle and obviously left Carlisle and went to Bradford. And it was it was when we went when I signed for Darlington and uh, that we really got serious about it. Um, and obviously... I finished off the, the the playing career at Celtic Nation. That was just obviously to to keep my legs ticking over before we moved over to Australia. And uh, we've okay. been here nearly eight eight years now. So um, we've never looked back. We've been back a few times. Um, I've been over to Carlisle to see to see Chrissy Lumsden and, and uh, Andy Horn, the ex kit man and bus driver. So, um, but now we love it over here. And obviously, we moved over here and. and and one of the re- well, not one of the reasons I just fell in in lucky with a football club um, that were looking for a coach, and I just jumped into it. And I was like a player coach role, um, in the under 18s and playing in their, their senior side, which is it's a bit like Celtic Nation, it's semi professional. Um, the standards getting better and better every year. There's loads of English boys over here playing in it, um, and then obviously got to 40, and I thought, look, at times. Time's ticking now. You know, my legs and my body couldn't couldn't really get around the field anymore. And obviously, just jumped into the into the coaching side of it and, and into schools and, and coaching, you know, the local kids. And um, I'm now at a local side where, which of course, the senior men's we play in the in the local MPL, which is one league below the A League. Um, well, really enjoying it. We're in a lockdown at the minute. Obviously, we've we've just come in, we've just come out of lockdown, so we've got a two week um, no training. So, you know, you can still do bits and pieces on your own, but we can't officially go back to group training for another two weeks. When does uh, when does your season start? Then, so your season started and it's been put on hold. What's what's happened? Yeah, there? so we're, we've had about we've had about 16, 17 league games so far, and then we right. went to a three three day snap lockdown because there was a few cases, mm. and then from that there was a few more cases. They, they put it into a ten day lockdown. Um, so we just come out of it on Sunday. So we're, we've probably got about 10 or 12 games left. Um, but now what they're saying is the lockdown's over. You can still go about freely, but you've got to wear masks. But for the next two weeks, because we're, we're not full-time professionals, we're classed as semi-professionals, but the government are classed as, as a community team. So you can't do any community sports as a group for the next two weeks. So we've got the players doing um, like Zoom meetings and we'll, we'll go out, we'll go out and they'll do their own runs or they'll go for a bike ride just to keep to keep fit and they'll put the results on our, our group chat, our Strava. So it is difficult. Um, we only train two nights a week. Um, we do a recovery session on, on a Monday and train Tuesday th- and Thursday. So, you know, it's not full time. So we only see the players for like four hours a week, really, and before a game. So it is, it is a tough situation. Obviously, the players... Have got full time jobs. Some of them are students. Some, you know, as I say, work work nine to five or, or 
five o'clock in the morning till, till five o'clock at night. So it is a difficult situation, but hopefully in, in two weeks' time, we can start getting back to normality again. Yeah, there's no, there's no chance in the season being null and void and called off at all, is there? Or did that happen last year, maybe? Or was there anything like that that happened in your leagues? It, it happened last year. Um, right. But we they put it on hold for three months and we got back into it. But I remember last year, Victoria got cancelled. So they cancelled their leagues. We got a couple of good players that come down from Melbourne to help ah. us out. Um, so that we had a we had a Zoom meeting last night with Football Queensland and they put a couple of scenarios to all the clubs. So I think what they're going to do is just extend the season by four weeks because that's what we'll have missed. Maybe with a with a midweek game because they don't like playing midweek games over in Australia. Um, What's that? Because of obviously. Because of boys, like, so we could travel from, from the Sunshine Coast to the Gold Coast, which is two, two and a half hours. By the time you finish your game, it's 10, 10, 30. Um, so boys not getting home until like one, two o'clock in the morning. And then some have to get up to work at five o'clock. So they don't right. want to put that that strain on the players. So what they're trying to do is, is put a couple of bye weekends in, in with the schedule. So if you have washouts or... Um, cancellations they can put them into the schedule so they're just going to extend it for four weeks rather than make teams travel midweek on a Tuesday and a Wednesday night so personally I'd like to see the teams travel on a Tuesday and Wednesday night because it gives us a bit of an advantage especially yeah. if you're playing at home so yeah. but look it, it is what it is we'll let, we'll let football Queensland decide and obviously the committees and um, the, the chairmen and the presidents of the, of the clubs decide how they want to go so I'm just concentrating on you know keeping the players fit and, and, and obviously healthy and um, you know, because obviously mental illness, you know, comes into it as well. And some boys live on their own. I've got a boy from England who, who played for Fleetwood Town. Um, he's living in an apartment on his own. So, you know, it's, it's them boys you've got to look after and make sure they're okay, checking on them every day, you know, drop them a text, having a chat with them. Um, you're allowed to go for a coffee, but you just got to, as I say, social distance and you can, only, you can only take your mask off when you sat down. So it's them things that I try to, to take care of and I just let the other, the other football people take care of that. The ever-evolving role of management, I guess. Uh, if you can't go training, then I'll, I'll meet you for a coffee at least. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Great insight there. Uh, what I like to do, Paul, when I get an ex-pro onto the podcast is that I like to ask them the same ice-breaking question and just sort of compare everybody's answers a little bit. I think we've had a nice little bit of an icebreaker already, but I don't want to deviate from tradition too much. So the icebreaker is this one, okay? So it says... Having played professional football means that you have gathered a number of core athletic traits. For example, strength, agility, height and stamina. The list goes on and that's only to name a few. So with all that being said, if football never existed, what other professional sport could you have seen yourself maybe going involved in? Mm, professional sport? Well, I wasn't very quick. I'm not very tall. So probably rules out basketball and, and athletics. Um, <laughs> They're big over there in Australia that. as well, aren't they? Basketball's big over there. Yeah, massive. The, the, the amount of sports that they do over here is frightening. The kids do two or three different sports a week. You know, they come from straight from AFL or they've been cricket training or they've been as a big basketball or, or soccer trainers, as they call it. Uh, I, always want, I always wanted to be a fireman when I grew up. I don't know why. Oh. Maybe oh, we used to watch Fireman Sam, you know, the cartoon character. I don't know, <laughs> yeah. but... Um, yeah, I didn't start playing until I was 11 or 12, just locally with, with, with friends and I got into a team. So, um, but apart from any other sports, I'm not really, I'm not really, not really great at any other sports, I'm going to be honest. 
Oh, you don't have to be good know. at them, Paul. You don't have to be good at them. It's just like, what, well, you know, it's, it's like, like imagine being a rock star, maybe, you know. <laughs> yeah, I guess I would, obviously, I enjoy watching basketball. We watch the NBA. Um, okay. Which is not much on over here. It's on a good time for us. We watch it like nine or 10 o'clock in the morning. So yeah. love the NBA. Um, obviously, watch it at the Olympics. I watched a uh, lot, lot of basketball at the Olympics. So probably a basketballer, but maybe maybe a small basketball player. Like Muggsy, Muggsy Malone or Alan Iverson, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, that would be yeah, good. Getting around, yeah. Yeah, I could imagine that. I could imagine that. Um, so that's quite nice because you touched on it a little bit. Um, you get into football as a young kid growing up. And, and my next question simply was, uh, so growing up in Hartlepool, what got you into football? Was your first memories of football, what got you hooked on football? Yeah, obviously just playing just playing the garden. with I had an older brother at the time. Um, he was just playing the garden and stuff. And then uh, the school I went to had a training session on, on a Saturday morning. So I just, yeah, I jogged around. I used to live about 500 metres from, from the school. Um, my mum and dad didn't drive. So it was quite handy that, you know, I didn't have to didn't have to go far. Just rocked up and started getting into it. A few of the boys from the, the same class were, were playing. And yeah, just obviously fell in love with it. And um, it went on from there, really. So you get into that age now and you're playing a bit of football. You're probably involved in the school team. You may be playing a little bit of Sunday league for a local team. What are your first memories of uh, being touted and scouted? What was the first approach? Who came and spoke to who? Did someone speak to your teacher, to your dad? Did they speak directly to you? How old were you? Tell us those memories. Yeah, it was it was probably around about 13 or 14. I was playing for a local side, a local team on a, on a Sunday morning called St. Francis. And we played in like a, a side league. So obviously Hartlepool and Middlesbrough, Stockton, um, Billingham, th- them sort of little little towns and areas. Um, and I played against a, a team from Middlesbrough, a very, very good side called Cleveland Juniors. Um, and one of the coaches is a guy called George Blake, whose brother, Robbie Blake, who was a very good professional footballer, played for Burnley, um, Bradford City, Darlington. Um, you know, I think he actually maybe scored in a playoff final, scored Burnley's... First goal in the in the Premier League against Man United. Um, yeah, I remember Robbie so, yeah, Blake. Yeah. So his his brother, yeah, his brother George um, invited me to play for Cleveland Juniors, and and then they were in a, a, a they were in a, I think it was called the Teesside Alliance League, and they were a really good side playing against Martin and better teams. And just from then, there used to be scouts that used to turn up week in week out, um, and I would get you know get letters sent to the door, and the scouts would talk to me dad, I would talk to George, and then. You know, invite you for trials, and you know, I, I used to find myself going all over the country for trials: Southampton, um, Nottingham Forest, obviously the local ones, Middlesbrough, Newcastle. Um, and then a guy comes to us one day and invited us down to Everton for a for a two week trial in the school holiday. So I went down there. Uh, they they signed me on a on a youth, well, I was like a schoolboy scholarship. So from fourteen to sixteen, I was at Everton. Um, I used to go down in the, in the school holidays. Um, Obviously, the boys had all their kit and stuff, and I used to feel a little bit left out. So I mentioned to the scout I was, I didn't want to go back at 16. The scout left, went to Newcastle, and then obviously Newcastle started coming to watch me. And that's how it, that's how I progressed by by going to Newcastle. Right. Okay. Because it was a little bit the information that I got was a little bit muggy there. I didn't really mention Everton at all. Uh, so it was it was yeah. at the age of 14 that you started to get involved at academy level. Football. Were you were you being driven down to Everton at the age of fourteen, like twice a week, and, and then for games on the weekend as well? No. So what happened was in in the school holidays, so we'd get like six weeks off, or the Easter holidays where you get you get two weeks off. The scout would come and pick me up. He used to live in Yarm, which is obviously just outside uh, Middlesbrough, Darlington. Right. He'd pick me up in his his Jaguar. I used to remember he used to have this old Jag. He used to have like two petrol tanks. Um, yeah. He used to drive me to Everton, 
leave me there. He used to stay with the family for like two weeks or 10 days, and then he'd come back and pick me up. So he was a lovely guy called Eric Hall, he was. So every school holidays, he used to, as I say, take me down, um, look after me. But I just, in one particular trip, he could, he could tell I wasn't happy. And I was like, because obviously them boys were training two nights a week. They were all together. And I just used to rock up in holidays. And I didn't feel very part of the, of the team. Mm-hmm. Um, so he just said, listen, I know a guy from Newcastle. I'm going to get him to come and watch you. So funny enough, he, he left Everton and went, went to Newcastle as, as a chief scout for, for the Northeast. And then obviously got Newcastle to come and watch me in a, in a grand final for um, the local the local side. Um, must have played well because the next day I got a phone call. My dad got a phone call asking me to go to Newcastle in the next some holidays um, for a two-week trial. So didn't tell Everton. Probably shouldn't say that. Didn't tell Everton why I wasn't going down. Went to Newcastle. Stop turning up. Stop turning up. Must have, but between <laughs> the ages of 14 and 16, that's yeah. what like a schoolboy form. So after 16, you were free to... You're free to leave. So the first time, the first time you saw them was that playing against them. Then was that the first time you saw them again? Yeah. So when I went to Newcastle, I signed for Newcastle, and we got drawn against Everton in the yeah. um, FA Youth Cup. That's the Youth Cup, and that's that's the yeah we first ever season at Newcastle. We we played Everton, and obviously some of the boys were in that team. Anyway, they beat us one or two nil that night. We played at Gateshead International Stadium. So, but look, it, it was one of the things I just, you know, we sent him, in, we sent him a, a letter saying Paul was homesick. He didn't want to, he didn't want to travel away from home. He wanted to be close to his family. So I think they understood in the end. Um, and obviously Newcastle, yeah, signed for Newcastle on a, on a, on a two-year YTS. When we, uh, when we talk about the youth years here on the Blue Army podcast, we like to talk about whose boots you might have been cleaning. Now you've got two different teams that you would have been potentially cleaning boots at, Everton and Newcastle. Before we jump into uh, Newcastle a little bit, and I do want to talk about what it was like at Newcastle a little bit, whose boots were you cleaning at Everton? Well, because I wasn't there, I didn't, oh, didn't used to do anything. I used, no, we still had jobs to do. So during, during the, the school holidays, when the first team had finished the, the, the training session, the kit would be flown on the floor. So we'd have to help the kit man, you know, organise the kit and, you know, put the dirty kit in the wash machines and, and then obviously get the new kit ready for the next day. But I always remember when I first went down there, I got introduced to um, Peter Beasley, obviously Newcastle legend, obviously played for Carlisle. Um, got introduced, obviously, with being from the North East. So he, he took a bit of a shine into me, so it looked after me. But it's funny, when I left Everton, went to Newcastle, eventually when he came to Newcastle, he remembered me, for, must have been six or seven years after that he come to Newcastle remembered me. So, you know, I thought it was, it, it, it was great. And you know, I went back to England five years ago uh, at Christmas time to watch a game at Newcastle. I'm walking up the steps to pick up some tickets. The first person I bumped into was Peter Beasley. So he still remembered me from, and I'd, I'd been left Newcastle 15 years. So yeah. just the type of guy, really, really, you know, nice guy who has always time for everybody. I've heard really good stuff uh, about Newcastle at that time. Like I said, uh, we've had Mark Boyd on the show and he did uh, a large part of his apprenticeship at Newcastle as well under uh, Sir Bobby. And he said Sir Bobby was fantastic at mixing the first team with the reserves, with the youth team and everybody eating together and having a really good sort of like vibe around the first team. But I asked him a question and I'll ask you the same question. Um, his answer to the question was David Ginola, which I could completely understand. It was uh, walking into Newcastle just after signing your YTS sort of contracts and uh, being able to have a proper good look around the facilities. Were you ever starstruck? Was there somebody that made you go, oh, wow, it's such and such the first time you ever saw them? Yeah, well, obviously, when I signed up, I signed under Kevin Keegan. Obviously, he was a massive Obviously, he wrote for, for many people at the time, but you know some of the players he signed, like Alan Shearer, Les Ferdinand, obviously Ginola was another one. 
um, big names, you know, household names. He even got like a Robert Lee, who wasn't a well-known name when he came to Newcastle. But by the time he finished at Newcastle, he was he was one of the best players I've ever seen in, in a Newcastle shirt. So I was so fortunate and so lucky, as 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 Skip uh, Boydie said there, you know, to be around those international players that you know played in World Cups, um, and you're just part of a part of a big family, really. You know, they didn't see you as you know, a young YTS kid, if you trained with the first team, which we did on a regular basis, to, even if it was just to make up numbers, um, it was an unbelievable experience, one that I'll never forget. And I don't know if Skip mentioned it, but when we used to train at Maiden Castle in the school holidays, we used to get two or 3,000 fans rock up just to watch training sessions. It was like, it was ridiculous. You couldn't get into the training ground because there was that many fans and kids wanting to see the heroes train. That must be cool. That must be a really cool atmosphere, like a really cool vibe to be around. Uh, so you spent, was it six or seven years at Newcastle? You signed, yeah, you did sign years, professional yeah. terms. You did sign professional terms at Newcastle, but you didn't make a, a first team senior appearance. Eventually you went back out on loan to the, I say back out on loan. Eventually you went out on loan back to your hometown team and you got to play for Hartlepool which for many young boys is, is a dream come true to get to play for your hometown but before we get onto the Hartlepool loan move being in and around the Newcastle reserves uh, trying to push your way into the first team did you ever feel like it might be there might be a moment might get there did it ever seem quite likely that you were gonna you were gonna get into the first team was there any conversations about that? Well, I was I used to train as I say, I used to train with the with the first team squad quite quite a lot. But when they're bringing the likes of um Warren Barton, I think they signed for for five million pounds and they brought the Swiss captain Mark Hottiger at the time. Because I'd been moved when I when I first went to Newcastle, I was a, a central midfielder or, or a right midfielder, but probably about six months to a year into into the YTS that the, the manager at the time was a guy called Jeff Clark. He put me back to right back because he, he he said I see the game better for everything in, in front of me. Um so he moved me to right back. So as I say it probably better for me to go to right back because imagine playing trying to get in the midfield with, with Robert Lee in there, David Batty, um Peter Beasley, you know, just to name a few. So yeah, but with the calibre of players in there, it was always going to be difficult um to, to break into a to a you know into a first team side, mainly, you know, most week the reserve, the reserve team was full of first team players. You know, I remember playing in a game at uh, St. James's Park and we had to cancel, well, not cancel the game, but we had to um, delay the game for 45 minutes because Ian Rush and John Barnes were making the debuts. Um, and I, and I was, I was made captain for the night. I don't never forget it. We played Doncaster Rovers at home. Um, it, it was about 15,000 in the, in the stadium. It was unbelievable because we'd obviously signed, um, John, I think Stuart Peter, Pierce might have played as well. So we signed two English internationals and Ian Rush, obviously a legend from Liverpool. And these three were making the, the debut for the reserves under Kenny <laughs> Daglish at the time. And I was walking out in front of as, as, as the captain. So yeah. you know, just, to, just, just so things like that, I'll never, ever forget. And obviously, you know, I know I didn't make a, a first team appearance, but th- those memories will, will live obviously long, long, long in the bank. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so it says a lack of room at Newcastle led to your path back to your hometown team, first on loan and then as a part of a permanent deal. What was it like being released by Newcastle? And it was it kind of bittersweet that you got to go to the hometown club? Yeah, obviously, well, it's not nice when you when you when you get released by a club. But I think, you know, I think I was 20, maybe 21 at the time. And I wanted to play some first team football. And I obviously spoke to... So Bobby Robson about you know playing first team football and 
you know, it's it's different to playing in the reserves. It's you know, it doesn't it doesn't really matter about if you're winning. It's about you know developing and stuff. So, going from from Newcastle, we actually played Hartlepool in a, in a behind the closed um, doors friendly over at um, Chesley Street. Chris Turner and, and Colin West, obviously, with the manager and the assistant manager at the time. So, again, I must have done all right in the game because he invited me down for for a week's training. I went down and trained with him, um, Peter Lee, and then obviously they, they took me on a, on a month's loan. Um, and after they said, look, we'll sign you on a month's loan because it was it was close to a game. I think we were playing Barnet away on the Saturday. I think it was a Thursday or Friday. They said, look, we'll do you on a month's loan. And then after the weekend, we'll, we'll make it a permanent deal, it, you know, if, if you want to do that. So I'll say to, to, to go to your hometown club, obviously, was was delight, you know, delighted, um, especially after leaving Newcastle. Um, so, yeah, obviously, back back at home. Yeah. Uh, so you had three seasons with Hartlepool. Uh, you were chasing promotion, and eventually you won promotion with Hartlepool. Um, what was it like going from reserve team football to a dressing room full of fully grown men who really cared about whether or not they were going to go up or go down, or because that was a livelihoods. It was very much a big difference maker when it came to their paycheck. So, what was the pressures of going into that dressing room like? That's right. You know, you know, you're now going from you've gone from academy football to players who obviously get paid, but then they, they're on win bonuses and they're on appearance fees. So, you know, it's not just about development anymore. It's about winning games of football, and it's the same for the manager. The manager's there because he has to win games of football, and if they don't. You know, he could get the sack. So yeah, it was obviously a little bit of a culture shock, but I was around a good group of players. Um, and obviously a manager at the time, Chris Tenno played for Sunderland and, and obviously Manchester United. Um, and I just obviously, you know, was getting little bits of game time here and then everywhere. It was like 20 minutes or, or 30 minutes. Um, you know, luckily enough, I, I made my home debut um, and I come on after 60 minutes, we were getting beat 1-0 at home at Exeter. And I come on and scored a, a worldy goal from 25 yards on my first touch. So, I saw that goal. You know, <laughs> it was such a good strike. You know, dreams. I don't. I don't think it got any better from then on. I, you know, but, you know that was, was, was put you on the first team. Me. Yeah. Yeah. But just, just as I say, just being around seasoned pros. Um, I remember we, we played a game against Darlington. Obviously, Hartlepool Darlington is a bit of rivalry, and um, there's a guy in the team called Martin Gray. I used to know Martin, and then obviously. But this was before, this was not, you know, Hartlepool. I didn't play against him in a, in a game. And when I come to play against him, he's like, I'm going to break your legs today. Ah, nice. And I thought he was, I thought he was joking, but he's like, no, this is how much it meant to them. And he obviously ah. didn't, he wasn't going to break your legs, but this is the difference between going from academy football to winning football. Um, and it's, it's you know, it, it, it's men against men now. So you have to stand up and be counted. So as I say, I'd love my time at Hartlepool. I just wish I could have played a, a few more games, you know, injuries and stuff. And, um, I had the captain there, Mickey Barron, who, who obviously played in the same position or similar position to me. And we, you know, we were fighting for that position every week. But yeah, as I say, to, to, to play for your hometown club is everybody's, uh, everybody's dream. And, and, and I got to do that. Was there, uh, was there any big names over at Hartlepool at the time when you went over there? Was there anyone that made your head turn and go, oh, I wouldn't mind playing alongside him? No, there was just a, just a, a group of, of good, honest footballers. I think that's what it was. Yeah. Obviously, a few boys got, got moves and stuff. And the, uh, I think when I went in, they were, they were struggling. Um, we managed to, 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 to stay up the league. And then the season after, um, we were down the bottom for, for a while. And I think it was the game where England played Greece and Beckham scored that worldy goal free kick uh, to, to, put you, to put England into uh, to, to qualify for the Euros or the World Cup. We, we were bottom of the league. Um, on that, and we played on the Friday night. I think England played on the Saturday, and then from then on, we went on a 21, 21 or twenty-two unbeaten run. Um, we ended up getting to the playoffs, 
So it was obviously a great achievement, you know. So I was, I was around a, a good bunch of players um, who Chris had brought in his own players and players that were there, you know, that that were that wanted to win games of football. You had nearly eighty games uh, over at Hartlepool, so you did you did you did notch up a few a few caps there. Obviously, you know, some of them yeah. coming off the bench, some of them being starters and stuff like that. But yeah. is there a, a lesson that you carried forward from the rest of your career that maybe you can say? I learned that at Hartlepool. Yeah, definitely. I, I don't know if they were, you know, obviously playing for your hometown club where there was a little bit of more added pressure because everybody wanted tickets to come watch the games and uh, you know, all your mates were there watching. So there was a little bit of more added pressure of, of me, you know, trying to perform um, well every weekend, that, whether yeah. that whether that was me trying too hard at times or because I didn't know didn't know the league, you know, as much. And, you know, I think when I, when I come to Carlisle, I was much more relaxed and, I'm, you know, I think I found me, found me feet at, at Carlisle, whether... I don't know. I always felt part part of it at Hartlepool, but I just think you know, coming to, to Carlisle, obviously when I when I did settle in, I felt very much part of that furniture, and um, you know, I think people made me feel well. Not that they didn't at Hartlepool. I don't know. Just just something about it just felt totally different at, at Carlisle. But I say use them experiences that I had at, at Hartlepool, um, and obviously took them to me with, to, with to, to to go to Carlisle with. So I guess you started the campaign that year. Before this is before, just before you signed for Carlisle, by the way. You started that campaign with Hartlepool, um, and then maybe was was there just no room in the first team, and that's what led to your loan deal and the first time that you came over to Carlisle on loan for the three months. Yeah. yeah. So what happened was I wasn't really in the manager's plans, I don't think. And then Michael Barron, the captain, Mickey Barron, got injured two or three days before the opening game of the season. We were playing away to Peterborough. Right. Um, I actually seen a clip of it the other day because it was it comes, it comes round every time the opening league fixtures. We were three one down, and I managed to play in the game because Mickey was injured. We were three one down, come back, we won four three. Um, Neil Cooper sent me after the game. Oh, listen, you're going to be your first choice right back. You know, I've obviously he pushed me to side to one side in pre season. I'm not sure whether he didn't fancy me as a player or what, but and then after the game, I got like a blister on the bottom of my foot, I got infected, so I didn't play the. Like the Carlin Cup game, I think Carlisle played last night against Sheffield United. It was that, yeah. it was that game straight after the, the first game of the season. So I didn't play in that one. Mickey come back in, did really well. I never played for about two or three months. So I was knocking on the manager's door saying, "Look, you know, what have I got to do to get it to get a chance to get a game?" And he's like, "You've got to be patient. Your chance will come." I'm like, "Well, I want to play week in week out. I don't just want to sit on the bench and play in the reserves." You know, I've had a taste of it over the last couple of years. I think now is the time to to go and play regular football. Um. So and I don't know if it was Kevin Henderson that had, had a word with with Simo, obviously because Kev Kev had left Hartlepool and gone over to Carlisle. Um, next thing I get a, I get a phone call from Neil Cooper saying you want to go to Carlisle on a month's loan. I'm like, yeah, where is it? So that's <laughs> I didn't even know. So anyway, I spoke to Hendo on on the um, on the I think it was a Wednesday Wednesday afternoon, starting training on the Thursday. He's like, look, I get yourself to uh, the A69 over at Newcastle. Well, I'll meet you there. Um, I met him. Craig Russell and uh, Mark Summers Bell, and we just uh, we drove over and we, we car schooled, and uh, yeah, the, as I say, the rest is history. <laughs> so you signed with Paul Simpson, not Roddy Collins, the first time on loan. Yeah, signed with Simo. Simo just took over. I think he we might have been first, the was first signing. Nah, I don't know if I was. I think I think ah. Hendo might. I don't know if Hendo was over there with Roddy Collins or Simo, but I think Simo might have been. Simo was trying to get a few players out and bring a few players in. Yeah, and obviously Hendo was must have been chatting to Simon and says, "Listen, I've got, I've got, I know a lad at Hartlepool. He must have been looking for a right back or a right wing back, um, you know, that's desperate to play football. 
obviously must have spoke well about me. So someone must have got in contact with 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 Neil Cooper at Hartlepool and um, yeah, jumped at the chance with, with both hands. Yeah, I'll be honest, I didn't even know where Carlisle was. You know, um, <laughs> when I spoke to Wendell, he said, "Look, just get yourself to the the A sixty nine. We'll meet you on the corner there at, at uh, eight o'clock, seven forty five, whatever it was." So some of the, some of the southern I'll, lads and the Scottish lads, they've got an excuse not to know where Carlisle is. But you were brought up in the north, mate. You, you should have, you should have looked yeah, at a map. I, I knew. I, obviously, I knew where it was. I just didn't realise how bloody difficult it was to get there. Some mornings you'd never been at all. You'd never been before. You'd never driven through or oh, anything. I, I'd only been, I'd been over with Hartlepool in the, in the, in, on the team bus and stuff. Um, right, yeah. Play games and things like that, but, um, quick in, quick out, though, Carlisle, isn't it? When you're just coming on a bus, it's just straight football right, stadium, yeah. turn yeah. round on Warwick Road, straight back out again. You don't that's see. Right. Well, when, you, when you're on the bus focusing for a game, you don't really look at where you're traveling, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah. but now, as I say, once, once I got over there the first day, you know, as I say, I thoroughly enjoyed it walking through the doors. Well, you started off on uh, on a loan deal and then you signed permanently. I think it was in the January when you signed permanently with Paul Simpson. What was the loan deal? That was it. You were like, I'm, I'm coming here. This is where I want to play football now. Was was that a loan deal enough to convince you to become a, a, a Cumbrian, one of the foxes? <laughs> yeah, definitely. As I say, you enjoyed the first month. And I think Simo said, do you, want to, do, you want to, do you want to sign another month? And I was like, yeah, definitely. You know, I knew my chances would have been limited at, at at Hartlepool, if I went back, obviously Neil had, had obviously brought his own players in and was looking at the players that were there. So I thought, look, I, you know, I was do I must have been doing okay for Simo to, to want me back for another month. So I just said, yep, um, I'll sign again. And then I think halfway through the second month, he's like, look, do you want to just make it a three months loan deal? And I'm like, yep, let's let's go. I was enjoying it, even though you know we weren't we weren't winning many games and we we're in a relegation battle. But we were still fighting every week and we were still you know giving our all. And I think you know Simo's experience and, and ability. Um, you know, brought the best out of, of certain players. You know, in training, training was fantastic. I, I enjoyed going in. Him and Dennis Booth were unbelievable. You know, um, re, re, really good. Boothie, you know, Boothie was an absolute idiot, but what a top guy he was. You know, Simo was <laughs> he used to love shouting at Boothie from the stands. He always used to give yeah, you he, something back. He always used to shout at me all the time, but he said, look, <laughs> if, I, if I don't shout at you, that means I don't care. So mm. it was just a good vibe, even though, as I said, we, we were bottom of the league at the time, struggling for points, and I don't think we had a win in so many games. Um, you wouldn't have thought so walking through the door, you know. Um, I say it, it was it was really an enjoyable place to, to go and work and train. Yeah, were well, you signed for Carlisle doing quite a difficult season? And and we'll 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 move around and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But your first impressions coming to the city, like you said, you've only ever sort of driven through it before, and now you've got to sort of maybe find a place to live. Maybe you're staying in the county hotel or one of those sort of digs for a couple of weeks or a couple of months and um, getting yourself settled in to the city. What were your first impressions when it was like, you know, when the, when the door closes for the first time and you're in a different city and are you in the County Hotel, I assume? Or no, I used, to, you I, used to drive, I used to drive every day. I used to drive ah. the bus every day. So I'd go home every day. Maybe I'd stay before before games. So as I said, there was, there was four of us that used to carpool. We used to just... Take turns and driving once, uh, once, once every four days. So uh, did maybe the floods, stayed over. Did the floods affect affect anything at all? Because you would have been um, playing for us around the same time. But the floods, do you have any memories of the floods affecting the city? Yeah, obviously we were we were playing away. I think we were in London one night when when it happened, and obviously mm. we were getting we were getting messages and stuff, and, and obviously videos sent through, and it, yeah, obviously horrendous. There was players, cars, and um, so what we used to do, we used to drive over on a Friday. We would train, and then we would drive down to Nutsford. 
and leave our cars on the M6. So on the way back, we would pick our cars up and then cut across maybe the M62 and then go back up to the northeast that way. Right. So I think on that Friday before before the floods, we were quite. Well, I was quite lucky that one of us had took our cars with us. But yeah, obviously getting back to the to the ground um, and going through all, all the like all the kit and everything and all the all the walls and stuff. Because I could just imagine how, how, what people's houses were like at, at the time. It was. It was it was horrendous, you know. It's not nice for to to see at all. But I think I think we end up training and playing at Morecambe. If I can if I can remember, we played games at Morecambe because obviously the stadium we weren't allowed to train at the state or play at the stadium. We couldn't train. We yeah. were training every, here there, and everywhere. So it was a testing time, not just for the players, for for the whole of Carlisle. But you know, going back to the the first memories, you know, as I said, when I walked through the door, people just made like the girls from from the from the. Um, Behind the counter, as you as you walk reception, you, you got the you know you, the girls who did the kit for you, Julie, you know Dolly, the physio, you know everybody made me feel welcome, and I just felt part of what what felt like one big family, and I think that's why we we, we did so well eventually because everybody was in it together. It didn't matter if you were Paul Simpson or you're the tea lady or you're the the, the kit lady, we were all in it together. You know there was no pardon me friends there's no really big bollocks in the, in the, in the side we were, we were all one good group you know the players that come in Simo brought the right blend of players in he brought winners he brought experience he brought youth he brought pace he brought internationals you know Michael Bridges for example he was obviously nearly nearly played for England um, so the type of caliber players we eventually got to was, was, was all credit to the, to the you know to the football club was there any names that sort of like jump out in your mind as people that really helped you settle in in terms of the dressing room and, and how, the, how, the, how the club was run? Yeah, obviously, known Kev, Kevin Henderson, for when, I, when I first went in there was obviously a, a big deal because obviously walking into a dressing room where you don't know anybody um, can be daunting at times. Um, but obviously, Murphy, Peter Murphy was there, Brendan McGill was there. Um, no, Matty, I think Matty Glennon was there at the time. You know, there was a big Irish connection there when I went, but, you know, the, the major field work, obviously, Brian Shelley was there. And, you know, I was coming into play, you know, with with Shells or, or, or in front of him or he was playing in front of me. And it was never, oh, I'm not going to talk to him or I'm not going to, you know, help him out because he could be taking my place. It was one big, you know, one big team when we stuck together through, through thick and thin. I think that's why, you know, we obviously went down, got relegated, but it made us even stronger to come back up. And, you know, I think getting out of that division when we did uh, in the playoff final away to Stevenage even though Simone didn't bloody pay me I was sat on the bench but you know that's that's it I was the, one of the first ones if you watch the video I was probably the first one on the field to celebrate when we won the game and I didn't I didn't play a second because yeah. I wanted to, I wanted you know the group and, and the players and obviously the fans to get back where they, where they belong in, in the football league So unfortunately Carlisle got relegated during your first season with the club um, can you talk us through your memories of relegation? I know it's not a nice thing to necessarily talk about, but the good times are about to start rolling, so we'll, we can get through this, I reckon. Yeah, obviously it was difficult. It was a difficult time. Nobody wants to put a relegation on your CV, and you know you think of obviously that the fans in the city had only been there like four or five months, and you know I, I, I was devastated to be honest. Obviously I'd left Hartlepool um, to come and try and get you know help Carlisle get out of, out of the situation I'm in, but. You know, obviously we, we fell short, whether that was the start of the season we had or, or whatever it was. But, you know, I can't remember what Simo said, but I think he just said, listen, if we stick together uh, and he's going to add quality to the group, he wants to bring winners in with experience. You know, there's no reason why we can't we can't get back out of it, but we've all got to be pulling in the same direction. We've got to believe. Um, and obviously we owe it to the, to the club and, and to the fans to get the club back where they, where they should be. 
Um, just, just, just. This was the last season that Paul Simpson uh, was playing, and he kind of he hung his boots up uh, partway through the sort of conference season. What was it like playing with your manager? Yeah, it was. It was. He had a wonderful left foot. Let me tell you this. He, he was, did he was a great, <laughs> a great left foot, and obviously great knowledge. He he, he he sort of played in like a cheap role as a midfielder or, or a 10. And, you know, because, you know, he, he was clever when he had the ball, you know, you, you know, you weren't going to get much running out of him with all due respect. You know, I think he might've been 39, 40 at the time, even older, but when you got on the ball, he could produce moments of magic. Um, you know, he, he was clever. He knew when to take himself off or bring him, bring himself on. Um, but as I say, he was, he was, we used to, we used to train him with us all. He used to join in the sessions and he was probably one of the best, you know, best trainers there. We used to do the fitness, he would join in. So it wasn't if he was just turn up and playing the games. He was putting in the hard, the hard graft um during the week as well. But I think all the boys respected him because of you know what he'd done in the game. Um and he's got obviously a wealth of knowledge and, and obviously bringing in Dennis Booth in is a you know, he'd been around the game a long time, is he's his eyes and ears if, if Simo was playing on the field. Uh, this is the moment in your career where unfortunately you and uh friends of the show, Mark Boyd, end up Finally, finishing crossing paths at the end of your working relationship until you see each other again at Celtic Nation. Now, Mark actually sent me a question for you, and I reckon this is a pretty good time for me to ask that question. Um, it seems a little bit silly on the surface of it, but I don't know uh, why he's answer- asking this question anyway. Uh, Mark would like to know, what were some of Chris Lumsden's nicknames? Uh, Ginger Panface. <laughs> I think I think that was Dennis Booth. Dennis Booth who used to call him the ginger pan face. It was, that's what I'm saying. Like Boothy was just I don't know where he got it from, obviously, because he had he had ginger hair. Um but <laughs> what a guy Lummy is, you know, he, he what a player. Um obviously I was fortunate to drive across with with Chris as well. He, he was a Newcastle boy and we, I think we got him we got him from Barnsley, I think, at the time. So mm-hmm. uh, again, he fell out falling out of favour at, at Barnsley. But uh, yeah, great lad, great player. Still still drop my message every now and then. But I think his, his his best nickname was yeah ginger pan face. Not sure why. You'd have to ask you'd have to ask Lummy or, or, or Dennis Booth the reason why. Is that, that one was. of Dennis Booth's? That's, <laughs> Booth is, yeah, that's, right. that's brilliant. Um so yeah, after the relegation, good times quickly followed and Carlisle bounced back the following season in dramatic fashion via the playoffs. A roller coaster semi-final led to a final that saw Peter Murphy score the winning goal. You were on the bench that day, like we've just already talked about. Um when was the team announced and what were your memories of the final? So did, did you know that you weren't playing going into the final and that and what were you feeling during the game? Yeah, I, play, I think I played the first leg um, down at Stevenage. Was Stevenage? It was, no, it wasn't Stevenage. Who did we play in the first leg? I forgot. We played Stevenage in the final. We played... Um, whoever we played in the first leg. Uh, I'll, I'll edit remember, it. I can't remember what. <laughs> I can't remember what it was. Any, I, I played in the first leg. I didn't play very well, to be honest. Um, and rightly got dropped for the second leg at home. And he put uh, Simo put David Baharrell in at the time. Um, so I remember, you know, watching it. I was on the bench for the game at home. But look, I'm I'm one of these these players. If I'm not playing, I still want the team still want the team to win because at the end of the day, you win together, lose together. Obviously, I was disappointed not to play, but my performance in the game prior didn't uh, I didn't deserve to play. It's as simple as that. So Simo went, you know, got it right. Um, and then obviously getting through to a final, you know, you're not going to change a winning side that got you to the final. So, you know, I was just obviously patient and hoping and praying that, you know, I'd get on and play some part against Stevenage. Um, but I didn't. But as I said to you there, 
when the whistle goes, if, if you probably look at the video, I'm one of the first on the field to celebrate. I mean, I'm at the front of all the pitches and stuff because even though I didn't play in the semi, second leg of the semi-final, the final, I still played, you know, be part of the season. Um, and that's what Simo said, you know, at the beginning of the season, we all stick together. So, and I think it goes in good stead, you know, if, I, if it has soaked or threw me toys out the prom, if you say, I might not have got a new deal at the end of the season. Yeah. Um, but when I spoke to Simo, Simo was like, look, at, we, we love having you around. You're one, of, you're one of the players, you know, you're one of the boys that, you know, if you're not playing, you still work hard, you, you still got the right attitude. And I think it goes a long way in football if, if you get your head down because, you know, look at the following season. Um, and, and rightly, I went away, had a good summer, got myself fit, sharper again, um, and come back. And, and the, the season after was a different story. But I just think, you know, for any young footballer trying to make their way in the game, you know, don't always necessarily spit your toys out the pram because, you know, I didn't play in the final, but I, I made up for the, for the season after. Yeah, uh, we've we, we've had uh, Alex Mitchell on the show before, and he he's a goalkeeper, and he's gone from Annan to Workington to Annan to Workington to Annan to Workington like multiple times in his career so far, and he says the same thing as if you throw your toys out the pram and you burn that bridge then it's burnt forever and there's there's very little chance of, of redemption. So you do have to show that maturity in football. And I think most people are, find it surprising that a lot of footballers have that quality in them because on the pitch, you know, you can see a defender like yourself. I've seen you blow up a few times on the pitch and uh, you just don't expect them to have that in the locker. But yeah, absolutely. It's, it's important that they do. Um, back in the Football League now, alongside players like Carl Hawley, Kevin Gray, and a friend of the show, Derek Holmes, uh, a question... Oh, oh that, was, that was the Mark Boyd thing, actually. <laughs> I asked that question just before. <laughs> Sorry, mate. I right. got myself That's out right. of the loop there. Um, so, going into the new season... Uh, like I said, you've got players like Kevin Gray, Carl Hawley, and friend of the show, Derek Holmes. But there was another huge character about to be added to the dressing room that year, and that was Mr. Michael Bridges, who's also over there in Australia with you. Uh, as a side question, let us know if you guys uh, end up uh, going for a schooner every now and again. That's what they call it in Australia, don't they? A schooner. It's called a schooner. Um, you can tell us if you guys link up for a schooner every now and again after this question. But um, what was it like thinking that, whoa, Michael Bridges coming here to Carlisle? That's a bit mental. <laughs> Yeah, listen, obviously, everybody knows Bridget has been a, is a, a top player. When we were YTSs at Newcastle, he was obviously at Sunderland. So we used to go to college together every every Thursday. So obviously, I knew Bridget from, from college and stuff. And then um, one day at college, he never come in because he played he played in the first team on a Wednesday night for Sunderland. Um, you know, and then eventually got his big money move um, to Leeds. So obviously... Kept in, kept in, you know, watching Bridgie. But, but when he first, when he first came to Carlisle again, he used to travel across meters on the A69. So we used to pick him up, or he'd, he'd pick us up in his Mustang GT, I think it was at the time. So like a little sports car, <laughs> myself, um, Neil McDermott at the time, Chris Lumsden. So yeah, Bridgie was just again, he was just one of the boys. But you, you know, you always knew a little bit like Simo. If you needed a go-to person or a little bit of magic, Bridgie could do absolutely nothing. For 90 minutes in the game, he could frustrate the hell out of you, give the ball away, yep. you know, while we're all chasing back, putting tackles in, and then Bridgie goes and smashes in a 25-yard volley and Bridgie's man yep. of the match. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, he, again, he knew that what, what vital, you know, clogs of, 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 of the of the wheel were, you know, big Kev Gray at the back, you got Lummy in the middle, you got Murph in there. Um, so, and obviously, he comes away with a moment of glory, but he knew people around him were, were putting in the hard the hard yards. Um, but yeah, what a, what a talent. We all seen, you know, 
I think he produced magic week after week. You know, if we could have got Bridgie in, in his in his, that's why he went to Leeds and nearly made it. Obviously, in the international side because he, he was that good. Yeah, yeah, he absolutely was. Like you're saying about that, not doing anything for 90 minutes and then popping up in the 91st and scoring a 25 yarder. That was that was Michael Bridges all over, especially at Brunton Park. He's always sent the crowd home happy. <laughs> Loved Michael Bridges at Brunton Park. But yeah, do you uh, do you do, are you guys in the same similar sort of area over there? Do you meet up for a schooner he's- every now and again? Now, he's up in New South Wales, so he's the head coach um, of Edgeworth Eagles, I think I think it is now. Um, and obviously, he does the Optus Sport, so he's he's pretty he's pretty busy. Obviously, I dropped my text every now and now. It was his birthday last week, so I sent him a message wishing him happy birthday and stuff. And they just gone into lockdown because obviously um, they went into a three day snap lockdown. So all states are going into different lockdowns at different stages over the last year. We're getting a bit of a, a wave of, of of cases, to be honest, which is which is not good, but. Um, yeah, I haven't, I haven't since I've been in Australia. I haven't seen Bridgie, even though he's got a friend who lives um, about an hour away, just outside of Brisbane. So he's been down a couple of times for a, for a game of golf and stuff. So I've always, I've invited him over. If he ever comes up, you know, to Queensland, come over and see me on on the sunny coast. He's, he's more than welcome, and I'll take him for a schooner if he, if that's what he does. <laughs> Sounds like a nice plan. Sounds like a very nice plan. Um, so was this the season that you had to have a bit of an awkward conversation with Paul Simpson and the number two shirt? disappeared and you and you started wearing the number 15 what was the deal around that what happened there no there was no there was no conversation it was just we'd, we'd finished for for the we got promoted obviously we, we come back in i spoke to simo um and to be honest it was touch and go whether he was going to offer me a new contract so because i think towards the end of the of the conference season and obviously the floods and stuff i just i don't know i just i didn't i wasn't playing great to be honest so mm. he and obviously thought well he's getting promoted he might not have kept me on but because I was great in the dressing room and stuff, and I was obviously a good trainer, and he, you know, he's one of the subs that he would look at and go, if I need to put Arnie on as a midfielder, or I'll put him at right back or, or left back or or whatever to do a job for 10 minutes, he, he, somebody who we could rely on. He said, so look, I'm going to give you an offer. Um, go away, think about it. He says, but when you come back, you probably won't be first choice right back. I was like, well, all right, okay, but I'm going to prove to you that I will be. So yeah. I signed the contract, went away. I trained, I had two weeks off. And I trained every day, twice a day, for the other six weeks. So I thought, right, I'm going to prove to you that I want that number number two shirt. So when I come back in for first day of pre-season, Andy Horn, the kit man, busshead, says, Arnie, there's your bag there with all your kit in. So I went to pick up number two. He's like, no, no, you're not number two, you're 15. Ah. So I was like, what? He's like, oh, Simo's give it to Dave Barrow. I was like, yeah, no, no drama. Off you go. So I took 15. I thought, right. Right, you bastard, Simo. I'll prove you. I'll prove you wrong again. So look at people, people, people superstitious about numbers and stuff. And um, but as I say, fifteen, ten would be to be a good number for me. Um, yeah. you know, one of one of my youngest kids now. He wears number fifteen for the team he plays for because his dad worked at, at, at Carlisle. So you know, if, he might have done me a little bit of a favor by taking taking that number two shirt off me. Maybe with us to, to prove a point or to give me a little bit more ammunition or a little bit more fire in my belly, but. You know, I made sure when I come back for that first day of pre-season, I was at, I was at the front of the running. Um, I got myself, as I said, really fit over the summer, looked after myself. And uh, I think I even got a skinhead and shaved my head off and, and uh, you know, really meant business that, that year. And I think I played the majority of, of, of the games that, that year. Yeah, I, I think so, man. You're very much a mainstay in the side that year. And that was the year that Carlisle United went up as champions. Uh, so at the end of the 2005-2006 season, um, it ends with Carlisle winning the league and going up as champions after the previous year's promotion from the conference via the playoffs. Um, how 
what point of the season did you think that this was actually going to happen? When did you start believing you were gonna you were gonna be champions? Or did you did you did you feel like eventually it was gonna start getting harder, but you just kept winning games? What was what was the mentality like for you? Yeah, I don't know whether it was a, we were we ride on a quest, crest of a wave, you know, getting promoted um, through the playoffs, and we didn't really have much of a, a much of a break. So you know, I think it was a quick turnaround in terms of you know the playoff final and the start of pre season. Um, Strip again, obviously, Simo brought in some excellent signings, which gelled, you know, straight away into the squad. Sometimes when you bring new players in, and obviously managers trying to implement these ideas, it sometimes doesn't work. But we just seemed to hit the ground running, um, and we, we we went into every game um, confident that we, we were, you know, we weren't going to get beat. We'd either we'd either take something from the game, whether it's a draw or we get the three points. And I just think there was there was numerous occasions in that in that in that um, promotion winning, sorry, league winning season. That we went four or five games on the trot without being beat, then we get beat, yeah. then we go another four or five games, and then we get beat and we go right. You know, we're just trying to keep building momentum, and you know, you don't really take much notice until you, you know, you're halfway through the season, you're in a good position again. Now, time, now's the time to kick on, and I think just the belief, um, not even from the, the, you know, the start eleven. If 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 Simo was bringing subs on, or you got left out, you know, he had the the players to come in and and really, you know, perform and. and Take your place. We kept everyone on their toes. You know, training was great to be around. You know, the, the, the training with, with himself and, and Billy Bow was involved at this stage as well. Um, I think Billy might have been the youth team coach or in around the youth team. But you know, the sessions were, were fantastic. Simo put on. You know, we 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 um, we always did double sessions on a Tuesday and we went for a spinning class down at the is it the Sand Centre? Yeah. Sand Centre down at yeah. We used to go there on a Tuesday. Afternoon. You know, just great team bonding, things like that. You know, kept kept the boys together. If there was a, if there was a team night out or a team dinner. Everybody used to go. Not many people, you know, you didn't have to drink it. You just have to go for an hour or two, show your face. But we were all in it together. So it was, as I say, it was very much um, a, a big, massive team thing. You know, we used to we used to slate the kit man and we used to chip salt into his dinner on away journeys and stuff. And it was just, it was just all banter. But it made well, everybody, said. yeah, Bus said it. But he used to give it back. So, you know, it was, it was, it was crazy stuff. But, you know, it was at the right times. It, it was crazy, but obviously when Simo says, look, a switch on, there's a game to win here, the boys switched on. You know, as I say, yeah. you've got your experienced leaders in there, you've got youth, and you've got players who've been been there and done it and, and, and won titles and, and, and won leagues and been in around it. So I think put it all together, uh, it worked really well. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And I feel like uh, going up as champions is a very good place for us to uh, maybe leave this interview for a part two because we've still got lots of Carlisle to talk about, like the uh, English Football League trophy win. And then we've got uh, everyone loves talking about Celtic Nation and you've you won a trophy with Darlington as well. So we've got we've got plenty of stuff to talk about when when eventually we can sit down again. I'm very conscious of the time and I don't want to eat too far into the time that we haven't agreed upon. So I've just got a few quick fire questions that we can end on now, if that's okay. If you've got a, another 10 minutes, is that all right? Yeah, mate. Yeah. Yeah. My wife's just watching over me while she pours herself a glass of wine. <laughs> are, you, are you allowed to join her yet? Yeah. Ah, <laughs> that's what you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. yeah. Go on fire away, mate. We've got okay, plenty of time. mate. So this one is, uh, while you were living in the city of Carlisle, did you have any favourite hangout spots? And we're not just talking a pub, although you, by all means drop in the local because uh, they like a bit of exposure over here on, on the channel. But yeah, was there like a walk, 
uh, to an area that you enjoyed uh, doing frequently? I know we've. Uh, I know that you have a dog now. I don't know if you had a dog while you were a footballer and you had to had to walk the dog around the city, maybe. No, um, as I say, I never. I used to stay over on, on a Friday night. Um, there was a lad called Jeff Smith. He used to live about twenty minutes from Carlisle, and he used to have a um, a beagle. So on a Friday, we'd go and walk the beagle for like an hour because his dog used to love walking. I was like, yeah. Jeff, it's Friday afternoon. We should be at home resting up. Um, so we used to walk the dogs, as I say, because the dog loved walking. So when I used to stay with Jeff's, we used to, as I say, go to the local, go to the local shop, grab some some tweed for for tea, and then he, he'd go and take his dog for like an hour or two walk, depending if it was a nice evening. Um, I think he lived about 15, 20 minutes outside of Carlisle, which was lovely, you know, lovely and peaceful and quiet. So um I used to stay with Jeff regularly. <laughs> um, who was your head tennis partner? We've had a couple of head tennis stories on the on the pod uh, before. I don't think anybody would play with me because I wasn't great at head tennis. <laughs> if, if, if lads were playing head tennis, I'd, I'd jump in and, and have a game and, and have a bit of banter. And you know, I used to, I used to get in in the morning. If if we if we would sometimes when we'd leave, we'd get in late, and all the boys would be standing there waiting for us to get in because obviously we'd, we'd get stuck in traffic or there'd be a crash or somebody's car broke down or whatever. You know, the boys would be waiting there with, with looking at their watches going, oh, you're fine. So, uh, listen, I used to jump in, play head tennis with Lummy, Jeff Smith. Um, used to play with Neil McDermott, um, Kevin Gall. You know, mainly mainly the, uh, the the lads that used to drive across from Newcastle used to play the local lads. Right, okay. <laughs> uh, this one is, uh, what would you say was your best moment in a Carlisle shirt? Um... Well, obviously, the, the, the one and only goal I scored was 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 a was a nice was a nice moment scoring. Obviously, at the Warwick Road end, the one and only goal I scored. Um, I'll probably say that season, the, the the season that we got, we won the league, and and I played the majority of the season. You know, uh, I was lucky. You know, that Simo put a bit of faith, faith in me from from the season before when obviously I wasn't in the picture very, very much. So I'd probably say that was probably the best season that I ever had as as a professional. You know, playing. I think I might have played 40 games out of the 46 games and, you know, playing regular football, getting confidence by playing. That's why I left Hartlepool, to play regular football and, you know, and putting in some good performances as well. And I think, I think that season I come away with most improved player of the year and the players player of the year. So, you know, when your peers are, are voting for you at the awards, it tells you you've done something right. So, and obviously to be to be amongst some top players in there, you know, Glenn Murray, Carl Orley, Big Kev Gray, Kieran Westwood, um, Danny Livesey, Simon Grand, you know, Tom Cowan, you know, the list goes on. Chris Lumsden, uh, Adam Murray, um, Mark Bridge-Wilkinson, you know, Simon Hackney, Cleveland Taylor, you know, to be around these players, it, it was a joy to play with week in, week out. I probably missed a few lads' names out there, the Peter Murphy, that, you know, it, the list goes on. No no wonder we got promoted as champions because, you know, God knows how Simo managed to bring all these players in, whether he did a bit of Harry Redknapp and wheeling and dealing and stuff, but... You know, Derek Holmes has another one. You know, these names just keep going on and on. And, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's what a squad to be around. Danny Graham, there's another one. Danny bloody Graham. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget Danny yeah, Graham. It is. It's, it's one of those. It's one of those eras. Your era, anyway, at Carlisle. It's one of those eras where you can just list and list and list, and you can just carry on naming because there were so many players that meant so much to the fans at the time. Sorry. My next question is, uh, what do you prefer? The number two or the number 15? Uh, number 15. Number 15. <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah, That's the show you proved reg- yourself in, is it? Is that what it is? And I even got a registration plate with with uh, with number 15 in it eventually. So I don't know. I just, 
as I say, it just it just it just felt right. Something some players like to wear the number seven shirt or the number eight, or they're superstitious about whatever shirt they wear. Um, I don't know. It just fitted me nicely, and as I say, I, I had a good season, which probably helped. If I'd have had a shit season, it, it might not, it might not have helped. Do you know what I mean? So I'm I'm, I'm glad it, I'm glad it went went that way. Right. Um, the, the last question is the last question that I like to ask absolutely all the ex-pros. Uh, being an ex-pro, you've obviously been lucky enough to be involved in some of the games that are centred around football, like FIFA or like Football Manager and things like that. So it's a bit of a juvenile question, bit of a silly question. But Paul, have you ever played with yourself? <laughs> well, funny you should say that. We went to a local surf club a couple of uh, a couple of years ago, and I was on FIFA ten, and the kids were playing on FIFA ten in the local surf club over in Australia, and I couldn't believe it. You know, even kids from the schools are like, "I've seen you on the uh, on FIFA ten in, in the it's called the Malula Bar Surf Club." Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's 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 strange. You know, people say, oh, "Why you why you on the, some kids over in Australia don't get it? Why are you on FIFA 10? So I was like, "Oh, <laughs> I, I had to tell them the, the reasons why." So um, there, there there you go. The mind must boggle a bit. The mind must boggle a bit when you tell them that. Well, Paul, thank you so much for joining me for today's episode of the Blue Army podcast, mate. Um, just thank you so much. And uh, I look forward to hopefully having you back on the podcast one day in the future, because we've got a lot to talk about, including, and I'll leave this as a little bit of a teaser for the listeners, including the number 15 cursed shirt conspiracy but we'll uh we'll, we'll we'll leave that one for next time i know there's a couple of listeners that were keen on me asking that one today but i'm going to leave that one for next time so there's nothing left for me to do paul but say thank you so much for joining me today and um i'll see you again next time mate thanks liam appreciate it thank you cheers paul thanks a lot mate <laughs> anytime mate anytime i appreciate you you reaching out to me it's good to oh, chat beautiful. Beautiful, mate. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. And uh, I'm sure I'll see you in the comment section in, in, in the Carlisle fan groups again at some point in the future. Um, thank you so much, mate. It was a pleasure meeting you. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.